Today, we are joined by Zenobia Godschalk. Zenobia has worked closely with many cybersecurity companies over the years as the founder of Zag Communications, a PR and marketing firm servicing technology companies, and is now the SVP of communications of Hendura. She also does a lot of philanthropic work in the technology space. Welcome, Zenobia. Hi, Jean. Thank you for having me. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. It is early morning. The sun is shining. Cannot yeah. complain. Absolutely. Zenobia has been nice enough to be very flexible on this. We were supposed to do this an hour later today, but uh, she, like me, is a morning person, so we're excited to uh, to talk to today. So let's jump into it. So we talked to a lot of cybersecurity leaders on this podcast, but you bring a very different high-level viewpoint, being on the strategy and communication side of the house. And you've also been involved in a lot of cutting-edge security technology companies in recent years. For those looking to enter the cybersecurity field, what are some of the trends or technologies that they should be aware of? A lot to cover, right? We could spend hours. Well, four hours, hours, right? If we had a four-hour podcast, <laughs> you would scratch the surface on that question. Yes, but I think, um, you know, so yesterday I was having a conversation where with someone where they said, you know, behind the firewall. And I said, I don't know that that concept actually exists anymore, right? Right. Um, networks are becoming much more spread out. They are becoming much more dispersed. Data lives and resides everywhere. People are thinking about their own kind of privacy and their own personal data and how they maybe want to take more control of that. You know, at the same time, you're seeing exciting new technologies. You're seeing things like micro sharding. Um, you know, you're seeing other areas where people are saying, okay, well, if this is my baseline model, I have to, you know, I have to assume who moved my cheese, right? I no mm-hmm. longer have this controlled network that I'm able to just manage all as one monolith. I have to really think about how people are using my technology, where my data lives. And so, you know, thinking about that. In some ways, if you've never had that older mindset, you probably benefit because you're using all those tools. You know exactly how many technologies you go out and use from various different vendors and that live in disparate places today. It's absolutely well said. And I I think about it, this is my fourth uh, cybersecurity company. So like you, I've not only been a part of them, but advised some. And it, it is a uh, for those looking to get into this industry, I, I've mentioned this number before, but there's approximately four to 5,000 funded cybersecurity companies. So not only think about you know, go, the opportunity to go work for a major corporation or a credit union, they all need cybersecurity expertise. But on the vendor side of things, there's a whole nother litany of 5,000 companies that are looking for developers. They're looking for SOC analysts. They're looking for IT help desk. I mean, and marketing, sales, and all across the board. So that, that's really what, in the, the now it's, uh, 17, well, it's probably close to 19 years that I've been in the industry. Back then, if there were 100 companies, and, and most of them were pretty large companies, now there's really something for everybody. And, and as you said, lots of new cutting edge technologies. It really makes it an interesting time. Absolutely. We will, you know, in this industry, there is unfortunately always the job security of somebody on the other end trying to think about how to get into systems, get that valuable data, you know, extract those things of value. No, absolutely. Sonobia, what do you think the average security professional thinks about Web3 and other new technologies? The average security professional is paid to be a professional worrier. So that is usually front and center of what we think about, right? How is this going to um, be used 
by hackers? How can they potentially um, use this technology against us? But I think at the same time, it's a group of people who love to tinker and love to explore new technologies. So I think you're starting to see people say, wait, we, we maybe have a chance to do this better, right? What are the kinds of things that we should be doing now? Because we are at the start of this you know, sort of next era of technology and how do we um, capitalize on that? So, you know, there's a lot of work being done and conversations being had around privacy and identity in Web3, even if you think about, well, who who are you in the metaverse, right? I might be Zenobia Godschalk, but I might, for example, for the purposes of contract negotiation, I might want to present myself as a 60-year-old male who has a different set of contracting or, or negotiating So I think there's a lot of work that is being done around that. And I think, you know, for, um, so it's always something that's going to keep people up at night, but I think it is also an area where people see a lot of opportunity to correct the mistakes of the past or learn from what we did with, you know, the web, which was essentially, hey, we're going to put the technology first and keep it open. And we were, unfortunately, in some ways too trusting. Are there any great resources where where people can go to to learn about the Web3 technology and kind of how cybersecurity is impacting it? Gosh, there is a lot online. If you look at sort of the intersection of InfoSec Twitter and crypto Twitter, there's a lot of debates that happen there. But there are also, you know, just sort of some more foundational resources. If you think about folks like A16Z who are looking at, they obviously have a vested interest, right? Their portfolio yeah. quite a bit in, in Web3, but also in security. Um, you know, there are some folks who are thinking about it from that perspective and sort of taking a step back and saying, okay, if the world looks more like I can, you know, read, write and own my own data, what do I have to think about? So putting it sort of in that framework and, and trying to think about it from that point of view. That makes sense. So let's talk about the industry itself. We've made great strides, but it's not always the most welcoming or inclusive space. When we were pre- preparing for this, you had mentioned uh, something called the RESPECT initiative. And I wonder if you could just tell our listeners a little bit more about that. Sure. So um, this is now, you know, a while ago, we, a group of women in cybersecurity, of which we are a small but mighty number, um, started something called the Equal Respect Initiative, you know, alongside Chengxi Wang, who has worked as an industry analyst and is now a venture capitalist in the space. We were attending some of the shows and we realized, you know what, there is so much technology to talk about. There are so many interesting things to talk about. Why are we doing things that seem like they're very much from sort of the 80s, things like Booth Babes and others that don't actually drive forward the conversation at all? And so the initiative came out of that, right? It was, can we work with conferences? Can we help them think about what their code of conduct should be, not just for attendees, but also vendors? As you mentioned, you know, the space has grown. When I started as a sell side analyst covering the space, there were about 700 private companies that we put into a report. Today, to your point, there are, you know, four to 5,000. So companies are trying to find ways to stand out, but that does not mean that their marketing and other initiatives should 
you know, try to do that in ways that are um, not respectful to all members of our community, because Mm -hmm. we do have an incredibly diverse community. And I think that's one of the ways that we are going to be better than the bad guys on the other side. If we don't have a singular way of thinking, if we don't come to it from just one background or one set of experiences, we're going to be able to bring to bear a lot more in terms of thinking about how do we protect ourselves and our systems. Uh, it's de- definitely the case, and it, it has evolved to the to the better for sure. Many of the the, the female leaders that we've had on the show have reiterated that. I, I think one CISO in particular mentioned kind of uh, constantly getting invited to cigar and whiskey events. And uh, you know, on, on one hand, there are plenty of females that find that you know a great event. There there are a lot that that's not the most ideal way to really you know find something interesting for them uh, that that really is is inclusive. There's a lot that we can do to continue to get better. It is an exciting time. And I think the the opportunity for us on the hiring side of things uh, is to open up the aperture, both from an um, educational background, but a, a background of the, the individuals to, to think about the diverse uh, viewpoints that are ultimately make better products and make better companies. So I, I think that that's an awesome initiative. And, and I know that it's had a big impact already. And on conferences at a minimum. Yeah. And, you know, it was funny, we were in Israel a few years ago and, um, you know, they have these checkpoints that you go through, right, in certain parts of the big cities. And our our tour guide said, you notice that they have stationed at the checkpoints are mostly women. And he asked our group, you know, why, why do you think that is? And some of the women among us sort of chuckled and, you know, we got some blank stares from some of the men. And he said, because they pay attention, right? Because they see the things that look out of the ordinary. They see the things that do not look like they fit or are suspicious. They're used to noticing those kinds of things. Um, and I think that bears, you know, comes to bear for both physical security and cybersecurity. And this uh, question kind of follows on to the same theme, but can you talk a little bit about the Forte Group and how women looking to get into cybersecurity or who are early in their careers might benefit uh, from working with this group? And the Forte Group started in the beginning of the pandemic. You know, like I said, we're a small but mighty group of women, and we would typically, you know, meet each other at conferences, get to know each other. And then when we were forced to sort of all quarantine and be at home, we started to do some, you know, virtual get togethers. And at first, those were just sort of networking and having conversations. And over time, we started to say, wait, we as a collective have some really great resources and relationships, and we should pull that together to help for the benefit of everybody in the group. And so um, once or twice a month, we bring the group together. We have guest speakers that talk about everything from negotiations, which are very important as you go through your career, that talk about equity and comp packages and how to you know, have those kinds of discussions, that talk about angel investing and VC investing and what you should be looking for if you, you know, decide to go down that route, you know, that talk about leadership and board skills. So it has really evolved. Um, we have now actually started a not-for-profit. Um, Forte Group is now officially a not-for-profit. That's and awesome. we're not ones to rest on our laurels, as you can imagine. And so the reason for starting the not-for-profit was to say, okay, now, you know, this group is you know, doing a lot to educate and help lift all of our members. How do we think about that next generation too? And how do we empower them? And how do we encourage them? And how do we give them the tools and potentially some of the resources to help them grow their careers in this field? 
Oh, that's a wonderful initiative. And you know, please let me know if there's anything ThreadX or, or me personally can do. I'd, I'd love to help and we'd love to be a part of it. As a father Thank of three, you take yeah, you up on that. <laughs> please do. As a father of three daughters, I, I love initiatives like that. I, I think about, uh, and I've told my daughters this, and I, I forget, I should know the book because I, I quote it quite often, but uh, I was talking about women and men interviewing uh, for the exact same job. And Men, if they fit one or two of, uh, uh, let's say, 10 criteria, they'll interview for the job all day long. Yeah. Women, if they don't hit eight of 10, and I'm exa- slightly exaggerating because I don't remember the exact numbers, but it, it, the point was, is that men will kind of wing it and, you know, hey, I'm close enough. And, and uh, their overconfidence in their capabilities will, well, they'll go interview for that job. Whereas women, like if I'm not eight or nine of 10, I'm not going to interview because I'm not a fit. And I think that... That's one of those you know, learned skills that we need to teach women. It's like, it's not just about the skill set and the match. There's so much more to that interview process. Uh, so I think that's uh, one of the things I try to reiterate. And then the same thing with when it comes to negotiating. It's you know, unfortunate for, for whatever reason that sometimes, in particular, women, when interviewing, don't continue to negotiate. You know, think, oh, well, I'm going to get, you know, I'm a great person and they're going to pay me fairly as opposed to sometimes, and again, it is mass generalizations because there are some excellent, excellent negotiators when it comes to comp. I've met many of them, but I think when I, when I try to reinforce to my daughters, like, no, ask for more, no, right. ask for more. Like you, you are in demand, right. ask for more. So I just try to do it in my microcosm of my family, but I love what the Forte group is doing on a much grander scale. So yeah, and not just ask for more, right? I mean, that is help women get the specifics on that, right? Yeah, like, right. How do you read the cap table? If you're, yeah. if you're oh. going to work for one of these four or 5,000 startups, there's a good chance that equity is a big piece of your compensation. Absolutely. You know, and it's not enough to just say, great, this is my number of shares. That in and of itself doesn't mean anything. What's the uh, percentage? Yeah. Yeah, well, so helping them understand that so that they can ask the right questions to negotiate for themselves, well for said. themselves in very meaningful Absolutely. ways. Absolutely, very, very well said. So great. Last question: What are your thoughts on education and cybersecurity? You know, are four-year degrees necessary? And then, what you know, what roles do universities play in addressing the skills gap with cybersecurity? Yeah, you know, in some ways, it has to start even before then, right? I mean, my kids during virtual learning were on the computer, I don't know how many hours a day, starting in first grade, right? And there is um, there is the ability to learn some of that earlier on, just like you have, you know, coding for kids and you have that as part of the curriculum that's starting to be built into, you know, high schools and requirements for graduation. Cybersecurity has to be part of that. It can't mm-hmm. be bolted on at the end. And I think we have an opportunity to do that earlier on um, with our kids' education in what we do traditionally. I think, you know, we had um, we had briefly chatted before about, um, you know, sort of Web3 and where that's going. We have an opportunity to do security right, or at least better in that framework and in that world. Um, and so I think that there, you know, universities certainly can play a role in helping drive a curriculum that is stronger on the cybersecurity side, but we can also do a lot more that's early on. But again, this industry does benefit from a huge variety of viewpoints. And so you don't have to go to university or you don't feel like you have to have your degree in something related to this in order to be in the field. Today, there is so much information online, 
there are so many courses that you can take online where you can self-pace. You know, that's not to say, hey, you can jump in and do it without any education. Um, But if you are willing to take the time and research the materials and have that background, you know, you're probably going to bring some great perspective to a field that um, not only needs that perspective, but needs just more people um, looking at the problem. I agree with every point you just made on on that. And and I agree that the university systems are just one piece of a much bigger problem. We could get into a longer discussion of what role does the government play in, in this? Because as you and I both know, it's like if the if the Chinese or the Russian landed a plane in Boston and went to Raytheon and stole a bunch of patents, we'd go to war. But yet that happens to Raytheon every day and it happens to companies around the world and they're forced to protect themselves. So I think the government has to play a a greater role in in some of this initiative. And and to your point, as parents, as educators earlier, uh, exposing students to that, I I think about uh, Tamar Hassan, who's the CEO of Human Security. He's a very technical, very smart person, very tactical, but his, his young boy was going to Black Hat like four years ago and learning to pick locks and things like that. And I, you know, I, I, my kids are much older now, but I had never exposed them to something like that. But I was thinking like, wow, like that kid as, as a young, young man, uh, you know, he's, he's learning some skills, maybe he becomes a criminal that he won't, but, you know, <laughs> not yet. Uh, but you know, he's, he's totally being exposed to that world. <laughs> we talk a lot um, to everybody, encouraging them to expose themselves to this industry. If they're not familiar with it, whether it's a B side or, other regional events, just simply Google, you know, regional in-person events because they're coming back online in cybersecurity, you can get a lot of exposure to that uh, later in your career. And the other piece of it, I think about, uh, I just did a, there's a little ceremony for, I think, 20-some students that went through the Roxbury Community College, held a program for Cisco security certification. And these people are in transition. So they're they're later stage in life and making transitions, and they're looking to get into cybersecurity. So it's the two ends of the the extreme. It's the young boy learning to to pick a lock. It's the people later in their career that are making a transition. There is just a massive opportunity for many people to get involved in cybersecurity today. Absolutely. And I think kids are fascinated by it. I mean, you know, one of my sons came home the other day and was, I overheard him showing his brother how, you know, he and some of his classmates figured out how to, I mean, they essentially figured out how to hack an online game, right? They gave themselves 10,000 cookies instead of the one that they were supposed to get. Right. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's a, it's a start of a career, right? Well, thank you very much, Zenobia. We greatly appreciate your time, and I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy this podcast. Thank you, Gene. It was a pleasure to be on and um, look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. Have a great day. Thanks again. Thank you.